All right, good morning. All righty, let's get started. Good morning. Grab your Bibles, we'll pick up where we left off, Acts 26. Now, if you were with us on Sunday, we left off with quite a cliffhanger. Thank you. When we last left off, it was yet trial number four, hearing number four for the apostle Paul. And he is uh, making a defense, but he's actually sharing the gospel here in Acts 26. And uh, we got just to the place where the doors opened and in the guests came, they sat down. Paul the Apostle just started to speak and we had to leave off until this morning. And so we're going to pick up where we left off at verse 1 in chapter 26 after we ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we get started, we just want to acknowledge you and, and, and uh, admit, Lord, that we need your help. Uh, these truths are spiritually discerned. We need the Holy Spirit in the, in the fullness of who he is to open the eyes of our hearts. So we, that's our prayer, Lord, to be able to understand what your spirit is saying to us so we could hear it and, and be uh, encouraged and instructed so that we could be uh, blessed and a blessing to others. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I told you about my atheist friend that I had a cup of coffee with, and I'm going to bring that story up again because I'm reminded about it because of our text uh, this morning, having a cup of coffee, just sharing the gospel and trying to help him to see the light as it were, just sharing about the love of the Lord and some Bible verses. And I could see that I was getting nowhere. So I was a little bit exasperated and I just said, listen, explain how me, a 19-year-old, hell-bent, immoral, unchurched, guy like I once was, could walk into a bar, want nothing to do with Jesus, and come out a born-again Christian preaching the very same gospel I spent years running away from. How does that happen? And there was a pause, and he looked up and he said, you had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> well, I almost had a nervous breakdown because of what he just said. <laughs> and I wish I could have said, well, it was just temporary insanity, but it is a nervous breakdown that I have not yet recovered from <laughs> in 35 years. Now, I started thinking about that, to tell a guy that he's had a nervous breakdown uh, an insanity that develops character, brings an overall sense of well-being, gives wisdom and self-control, a going crazy that improves your morality, inspires hope, gives you answered prayer, transforms your life, and engenders love, joy, and peace. Would to God that the whole wide world would have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Amen? If only we could all have a meltdown like that. If we could all just lose our minds. <laughs> That's the answer. Well, what a paradox to attribute vast improvement of a life, both inner and outer, uh, to a nervous breakdown is sort of crazy. 
Uh, crazy to think that. So it's kind of a, a paradox. Now, it's not the first time a Christian will be accused of not playing with a full deck. Um, as we will see this morning when the Apostle Paul, uh, once again defending himself, now against false charges before a Roman tribunal, now for the fourth time, as I've said, now he's going to get a second chance. He did in chapter 22, didn't he, of giving his entire testimony. He's going to tell this testimony again and share the gospel, how Jesus opened his eyes and transformed his life. Now, in effect, Paul is really saying, you know, one day I'm headed uh, to a city raging with hate for Christians, wanting to kill them, wanting to arrest Christians. But by the time I get to that city, I was one myself. Now, how do you go from persecuting Christians in one moment to the next preaching the faith that you once tried to destroy? Well, there'll be an atheist in today's audience that will stand up and say the very same thing. Paul, you've had a nervous breakdown. And so Paul will have a great comeback to that, of course, and which we'll soon hear. So let's reset the stage. For those of you who were not here last week, we are in the theater room there on the Mediterranean coast there in Caesarea at Herod's Palace, which is a, uh, we have the remains, uh, the ruins, I should say. Uh, you could see that. We'll leave that up for a second. And uh, last session of the third trial, which we saw last week of this kangaroo court trying him for being a Christian, that's the charge. You're a really good one, <laughs> so we're going to prosecute you. Uh, Paul just had had it in the middle of the trial, you'll recall, he appealed to Caesar, which was his Roman right. And he uh, took advantage of that because he felt like his life was in danger, and indeed it was. Well, preparing the paperwork, the governor who was presiding over the case uh, realized that he's in trouble because Paul appealed to Nero. His hands were tied. He had to move him on up the system in the Roman courts, but he had no charge. He didn't have a charge. So he's preparing the paperwork, and he realizes, oh, what am I going to write? Dear, dear Nero, your majesty, this is Paul. Er, he believes that God could raise people from the dead. Oh, and this is not going to work. So in a sense, uh, this guy's in just as much trouble as the apostle Paul. So now, like an answer to prayer, he doesn't know what he's going to do. Jewish king, who's an expert in these matters, King Agrippa drops by for a state visit. And uh, the governor's all, hey, I got this infamous prisoner. Uh, he's a Christian evangelist. He's known all uh, throughout the world. The Jewish community wants this guy dead. He appealed to Caesar. I'm, uh, I'm obligated to send him on up, but uh, king, I... I I don't know the charges. I mean, I already discovered that he's not guilty of anything. He says this. He admits that. We saw that last week. So I'm going to need some help. Maybe you can help me. And he said, I would love to hear this guy myself. And he says, you're in luck. He's speaking tomorrow. Like I said, <laughs> both services. All right. And so he's got now it is tomorrow, right? The hearing has begun. 
all the VIPs of Caesarea, the who's who of Caesarea, they're all there. The military, academia, all the, all the rich merchants are there. Uh, anybody who's anybody in the city has now taken their seat, the Bible said, with great pomp and circumstance. So the trumpets blew and the announcement went out, ladies and gentlemen, from so-and-so, such-and-such, and all of that, they've all taken their seat in the gallery. And you see there, and, or there, you would see there, right? There you go. <laughs> and uh, in comes the Apostle Paul, probably with a guard, probably chained, and uh, here's how it started. Festus stands up, the governor, and he says, here he is the infamous preacher. Behold the man. Paul's standing there. We have a, an artist's rendering. It's pretty accurate from all the historical information. Paul stands there. A lot of people want this man dead, he says to his audience. I don't get it personally. He's appealed to Caesar, and I must send him on his way. But I don't have anything to write in my letter. That's not good. That's where you folks come in, my audience. Maybe together, after listening to this man, together we can kind of articulate a suitable, serious charge against him so that I won't look bad. That's exactly what he says. Verse 1. Then Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Trials on the underway. So Paul motions with his hand and begins his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Let's pause there. Paul knows that the king has at least acknowledged that he's a Bible believer. He knows all about the, what we call the Old Testament, and he acknowledges it as true, as we're going to come to see. And so Paul knows that he, he has to develop an argument here. He has to take some time to, to kind of flesh out some ideas for this guy. It's very important. So he politely asked the king in advance for a little patience. Like, just, just uh, oh, king, I, I'm really happy. I know you understand Judaism and the gospel. So just give me a moment as I collect my thoughts. Really nice. And, you know, this passage, chapter 26, so important to all Christians because we're called to give a reason for the hope that we have and to be able to shine the light for people who are lost. And so Paul does this fantastic job of sharing the gospel, uh, including biblical texts, and also weaving in his own story. And so there's a lot to learn here. So how we're going to divide this chapter is by five things the apostle says. Uh, first, he says, I'm blessed. I want to talk about that, verses 1 through 3. Then he's going to say, I used to be... He's going to talk about his past in 4 through 11. Then he's going to say, but I saw the light. And that's in 12 through 14. And then he's going to say, and I was given a job to do after that, 16 through 23. And then he closes 
like a prosecuting attorney, I've got a question, do you believe? And that's in 24 to the end of the chapter. He opens with these words, and, and I think that many, many people overlook uh, how profound the opening words are, especially when sharing the gospel and our testimony. He opens with the word by saying, I consider myself fortunate. He comes out with a nice, peaceful countenance, a little bit of a disarming smile, and he says, I'm blessed. I am blessed. Makarios in the Greek, same word that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The whole, all of that word there, the Sermon on the Mount, that word for blessed is makarios as well. He says, I'm blessed. He starts out by saying that. Now, the last several years, what do you have to be blessed about? That's the first thing. His audience is like, uh, this guy's been languishing in prison. They all know he's innocent. They all know how corrupt he's been treated. You've been in prison under arrest for two years, and you come out with a smile and you say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, oh, king, hey, I'm blessed today to be here. I, I'm thankful I've been waiting two years to, to stand before somebody with, with a vast understanding of the Bible. I know that you understand these things and that you, you're familiar with the gospel, and that boy, you know, here I am. Now, can you imagine him coming out with the attitude? I'm going to come out here again. And I've got to share the gospel again and give my testimony. How many times do you have to hear this? <laughs> For two years, that governor, Felix, was entertained by Paul and would call him out all the time for nightly entertainment. So Paul was like, here we go again. Oh, yes. Paul's happy. He says, I'm blessed. I've prayed for two years to be able to share the gospel with somebody with some understanding of biblical truth. So I'm very fortunate. I'm a blessed man. He's not uh, hateful. He's not, resent, uh, not filled with resentment. He doesn't have a sour attitude, no biting sarcasm, no accusatory tones, and he could be. Instead, he comes out. He's already favorably predisposed all of them to hear the gospel by his countenance, his demeanor, his tone, his, his answering in an opposite spirit that is not natural to come out and say, hey, man, Makarios was Cyprus's nickname of island paradise, where you would want to go and never leave. He's saying, I'm so blessed to be here. Paradise. And he meant it. Acts chapter 9 is coming to pass. The word Ananias gave to me, you are my witness. You're going to take the gospel before kings. I'm blessed. I'm seeing God's word come to me. Fulfilled. I stand before the king. I'm not on trial. I have an opportunity to share the gospel. What did Jesus tell us? He said, you are my witnesses. We are. First, we are with our lives. Then the lips can speak. And they're already, they're already on the edge of their seats. Wow, I didn't expect this kind of sweet guy. I expected him to be all bitter and mean and, and angry and upset. He's calm. He's cool. Got a nice spirit about him. What's he got to say? I thought he was crazy. Yeah, no. Why? That's the way we roll. 
right? When, it is. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. First Corinthians from Paul's pen, chapter 4, verse 13. That's the way we are. Verse 4. After saying how blessed he is, he says, Now, the Jews all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life. In my own country, Tarsus, Cilicia, and also in Jerusalem where I was raised. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night, O king. It is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now, here, here he goes, right? He's got the gospel. Here we go. You know, They think they're looking for a charge against him, but he's going to start to bring an indictment against them. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests, my former bosses. <laughs> I put many of the saints, the saints, just the separated ones, in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme in my obsession against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Let's pause there. So first he says, hey, man, I'm blessed to be here. And, and number two, now he says, I used to be. And that's part of our testimony. I once was. Even if you're a church kid who never really wandered very far before you found the Lord, you know what? You have a sinful nature, and you yourself know who you are apart from the grace of God. So all of us have a testimony of either who we once were or who we are without his grace. And so we have that ability to say, this is who I am. This is who I used to be. And that's part of our testimony. Now, Paul has two reasons to start with his past. Number one, he wants to build some common ground with a Jew. He's a Jew, and he wants to show this guy, Jesus isn't as far away from you being a Jew and a Bible believer, O king, than you think. So I'm going to narrow the distance. And, and number uh, two, he's going to point out the contrast and the transformation that, that he's experienced going from a persecutor of Christians now to a missionary for the faith that he once tried to destroy. So number one, I just have written here, build bridges. Build bridges. Uh, our job is not to emphasize how far away people are from the Lord, but to narrow that distance by showing them it's not that unreasonable for a person like you to actually put their faith in Christ. That's why Paul says to the Jew, even though I'm a Christian now, I really acted a lot like a Jew to build a bridge there. He said to the Gentile, even though, uh, uh, I would, uh, even though I'm a Jew, I would emphasize my Christian liberties with the Gentile. 
Why? Not any compromise to sin, but in an effort to win them, to build a bridge, to say, hey, I understand you, you understand me. Uh, you know, Jesus, right over here, it's not that far. You know, I like what one writer said. He said, sometimes Christians need to be reminded that we are of the same species as our unbelieving friends. <laughs> you know, people have been hurt. You've been hurt. Uh, did your parents ever uh, put you through things and trauma? And, and can you understand why people turn to drugs and alcohol uh, out of uh, grief wrongly handled? There's so many ways that we can relate with people, especially because we are sinners at heart. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but we understand where they're coming from. And so uh, he's just saying it's not unreasonable for Jews like us. Did you notice the our religion? He's talking to the king. He's eyeballed, eyeballed to the Jewish king. He's going, man, hey, this is all about our religion, quote, our fathers, quote, our 12 tribes, O king. Ah, so you say, me and you, we're not so far apart, buddy. We're going to find out later, this king really does have, in theory, faith in the Bible truths anyway. So he's saying, and this is what I have, let's start with what we have to work with. And that's what he has to work with. This is a guy who acknowledges the Bible and is a practicing Jew, and he says, listen, king, you're a practicing Jew. This Jesus I'm talking about, it's a Jewish thing. There are 300 prophecies in the Bible about this Jewish Messiah. Uh, it's not a traitorous thing. You're not a renegade like you think I am. I, I am still a Jew and I'm still a Pharisee because receiving Christ is Jewish. It's a Jewish thing. The gift of eternal life comes to the whole world through the Jews, but it's in a gift that's wrapped with a star David. It's wrapped in Hebrew wrapping paper, but the gift is for the world. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Abraham, I'm going to make you into the Jewish nature, uh, nation. <laughs> and no one is going to be like you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. But through you, I'm going to get at the whole world. You see? So he's, he's relating, he's just saying, as Daryl Bach, a commentator of the book of Acts about this passage, he said, the true Jew must become a Christian in order to remain a Jew. <laughs> That's the truth. It is a truth. This, he says, this is our hope. He says, my hope? He says this, this is my hope. It's a Jewish hope. It started in Genesis 3, when the fall of man happened, and God gave a hope. He said, I'm going to bring a Messiah through the seed of a woman, the virgin birth, the hope. It's a Jewish hope. It's in the Jewish scriptures. It's in Genesis, right? Isaiah 53, this Messiah is going to bear our sins. He's going to make us right with God. That's a Jewish prophecy. That's the Christian hope. So all he's trying to do is show a Jew, look, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to Jesus. It's right here, and you'll be a better Jew and a better king. You're not breaking any rules by coming to Jesus. I, 
Somebody just came up to me and said, I was talking to this Jewish guy about my faith, and I told him when he said, hey, <laughs> I'm a Jew. He said, oh, you love our church because my pastor is a Jew. And he goes, well, you go and tell that pastor that he's not a Jew because he received Jesus. And then I said to him, well, you go tell him. No. <laughs> go tell him. I could just see him going back. Well, actually, my pastor said. <laughs> Paul says, I'm a Jew. I believed the Jewish Messiah. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. But to anybody else who did receive him, they got in on the promise. That was first to the Jews. He came to his own to receive Christ is to receive somebody who came to the Jews. It's not a Christian weird thing. It's a Jewish thing. King, oh king. The king, the king's listening. The king's tracking. Because you, you will see where this goes. So he says, we may have the same hope in theory, but I'm enjoying that hope now, and you're still waiting. And you're opposed to the very fulfillment of the Jewish hope, Jesus. You're fighting against him just like I once was. And he goes through the litany. He says, yeah, I voted for, for their death. He said, you know, it was nice to see those Christians die, but what I found more enjoyable was to force them to curse their Jesus. He goes, that was my specialty. To, to, to cause them to curse, to blaspheme their Jesus. Oh, and I had my ways. He says, you see, O king, I get you. I get my accusers, because I was my accusers. I lived that life filled with hate, chasing them down, not just in Jerusalem, but I went to foreign cities looking for these guys. So if anybody has an anti-Christian sentiment, nobody in this courtroom had more than I. Now, that's, that's hard to argue with, you know? He could say, you know what? I could give you names and addresses of Christian women who, who are widows now because of me. That's how much I oppose this thing. Now look at me. I'm preaching it. Explain that. There is nothing you can say when Mary Magdalene, who lived a life, the scriptures say, had seven demons, and it's implied that she's a woman of the evening, a homewrecker. That's kind of one of those gals. You can't say anything when you find her living month after month after month, going to synagogue, sitting on the front row with her little Bible open, dressed modestly, all her friends and associations gone. And every time you hear her, you hear the sweet voice with modesty and purity coming out of her mouth. Who are you? What happened to you? What do you, what do you say to a transformed life like that? What do you say when Zacchaeus, this greedy little extortioner, tax collector who nobody liked, Meets Jesus, gets his heart's heart touched, and he stands up at the little celebration of inviting Jesus into his house, and he says, hey, I want to give half my possessions to the poor. Somebody hears that. What? 
no, you're Zacchaeus. You're the little money-hungry, little greedy little Jew on the corner who takes all of our money, right? What, what got into you? Hey, and if I've robbed anybody, if I've extorted anything from you, four times as much I'll give you back. Explain that to me, Mr. Atheist. It's a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Need an attitude adjustment. <laughs> yeah, I'm much better now. So he says, okay, I get you guys. I get my accusers. I get you. Uh, you're opposed to Christianity, but I hold the trophy for that position. Now, here's, how, here's what happened to me. 12 through 15. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of my former bosses about noon, O king. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing all around me and my companions. We, underline, all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in my mother tongue, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It could be a question as well. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting, the Lord replied. So let's pause there. He says, I'm a blessed man, and I used to be a hate-filled man, and now I've seen the light. I'm a changed man. Now he says, now... It was an ordinary Monday, <laughs> business as usual, just persecuting me some Christians, right? I was on a foreign trip. I was headed to Syria, of all places, looking forward to what I was going to find there because you know what? I went through Stephen's luggage after we killed him, and I found letters to his Christian friends who escaped me and went to Syria to live to Damascus. I went through his papers. I got his letters, and I got names and addresses. And I was on my way to get them and bring them back and try them for blasphemy, a capital offense. That's when it happened. 12 noon, pretty bright in the Middle East at 12 noon. Brighter than that, a blinding light appeared and flashed around us. We heard a voice, Acts chapter 9. They heard the voice too. They didn't understand it, but they heard it. And in this version, they all see the light and they all fall. So don't be telling me I had a little sunstroke moment and I had a little personal hallucination because there are people here who didn't even become Christians who can attest of what I saw, they saw too. So it wasn't just me, you see. And I heard a voice speaking to me. He's speaking in classical Greek right now. He's speaking in a second language. He's speaking to a Greek-speaking audience. And he says, hey, and by the way, he's speaking in Greek. And he says, and what I heard, he spoke to me in Hebrew, to my mother tongue, to my heart. Saul, Saul, what is your problem? <laughs> now, let's talk about that. It's pretty exciting to talk about how you went from dark to light, isn't it? We were out. Uh, with Debbie Bryson, it's getting something to eat. And she said, I want to hear everything. How did you folks meet the Lord? Let's start there. I got all excited. 
I was like, oh, I get to tell the story again. 35 years I've been telling the story and I'm jumping around like a little kid. Oh, oh, okay, oh, okay. So here's how it happened. Why am I getting so excited? I went from a bar in an, I was 19 years old, as you know the story. I went from a bar with a reservation in the lake of fire to walking out of a bar with, with my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and, and reservations at the king's table of the palace in heaven. Amen. Don't say I get a little excited. <laughs> Let me tell you how I, I went from eternal flames to sitting as God's son with a crown on my head, seated on a throne, judging the world with my heavenly father. You want to know how that happened? Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I'm having fun. Oh. Jesus. Paul's case. Jesus asked two questions of Paul that he asked everybody. He will ask, he's asking the Greeks in the audience. He's asking you. He's asking me. He's asking every rebellious sinner that ever lived gets the two questions. And here they are. Number one, he said, why are you against me? Why are you fighting against me? What have I done to deserve this? I just want to know. I created you. <laughs> I knit you together in your mother's womb. I give you life. I've got good intentions for you. I die for you. I want you in heaven. I want all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. I am willing that none perish, but everybody come to repentance and have life. What's your problem? I want you to justify right now, here and now, between what have I done to deserve this kind of resistance? I want to get your sorry case out of hell and put you into heaven, and you're fighting against me. Why? Why are you persecuted? Does it make sense to fight against your creator? That's what he's asking. That's what he asks everybody. Does this make sense to you? I know. You know, that's what he asked me. In that bar, that's what happened to me. That's what I, I had an audio vision, all right? I didn't see anything. The room went crazy. All I had in my head was my father's preaching. That's all I had. I was intending to become a Christian. I was in a bar, going to have a good time. My brother was in there. You know the story. The room started to wobble. I felt really weird. I felt a little nauseous, quite frankly. I didn't know what was happening. And I hear this voice. Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over again. Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? And I stopped what it's doing. And I started to mouth, the, the put to, into voice the words I was hearing. My brother sees me standing in the corner going like this. Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why, I'm, so he comes over. I do not to this day remember how I got out of the bar. I remember him putting his arm around my shoulder. The next thing I remember is cold air from the outside the bar. And me saying, heaven, Jesus, God, hell, Jesus, no, go. And I was very articulate. <laughs> He started crying. I started crying. I've never been to church a day in my life. No Christian telling me anything. We look up in the sky and we say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. That was my prayer. 
We drive home. We see my Christian father. My mother got saved when we walked in the door because it was such a miracle. We're Christians. Ross has heard the Lord. Hallelujah. It was such a miracle. My mom went, there's a God. (laughs) (laughs) But what a question. He asked questions seriously. Just you're like, I surrender now. You know, why are you going to go to hell when you don't have to? It's like, duh. (laughs) Yeah, no, then I'm not going because I don't have to. (laughs) Right. And so Paul's getting the point here. The second question, I love. He says, isn't it pretty painful to fight against me every day? Isn't it hard? Like, the goad that I use, to, the goad is the sharp instrument. You, you, you try to get livestock to go the right way, the way that they should go, right? So you give them a little poke. So the Lord says, I've been prodding you pretty sharp, and you keep resisting back into it. Do you enjoy this? Paul, you've got a nagging conscience. You hear the voice, they're right, you're wrong. They're right, you're wrong. You're kicking, you're fighting, you're screaming. Let's admit it, pal. That sermon my son Stephen preached that ended up with your vote to kill him, that got to you, Paul, didn't it? I was prodding you with that. The way he looked up and it looked like an angel shining on his face. That got you, Paul, didn't it? Let's be real, okay? But what really got you and haunted your dreams and drove you to this place where I could finally push you over the edge was his prayer for you while you were saying, kill him. He said, don't charge this to his account. And that's the face and the voice you hear every night. Prod, prod, prod. And you're fighting. Does that make any sense? You know the scriptures. You've been dodging them for years. You've got a conscience. Isn't it a lot of work to resist the truth and shut down your conscience and ignore all of nature's testimony that there is a God, there is a God, there is a God, and you need to get right with him? Let's put an end to that, shall we? And he says, yes, Lord. <laughs> well, I, I think he said, let's put an end to this, shall we? Oh, you're not here as my enemy. Oh, you're here because you love me. Oh, you're the Lamb of God, Isaiah 53, who took away my sins. You're here as an intervention to love me. He saw the nail prints. Can we stop now, Paul? Paul says, yes, Lord. He's blinded. He has to be led, you know, by the hand away. But now he's blind, but he's seeing for the first time. Now, now what started as a trial for Paul, as I've been saying, is turning into a hearing where his audience is now on trial and that before the judge of heaven. So here come the charges against them. 16, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people 
and from the Gentiles. They're all sitting there listening to this as Gentiles, most of them. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then King Agrippa, I, wasn't, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to Jerusalem, to all Judea, and then also to the Gentiles all over the place. I preach that everyone should repent, turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. This is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I've had God's help to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and the, be the first to rise from the dead and, and stay alive. <laughs> Uh, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. All right, so he's seen the light. He's a changed man. And now he says, I'm a man with a mission. I've got a job to do. Now, people, when they hear your, I used to be this. God has answered prayers. And let me tell you about Jesus and the gospel and how my life has changed. Here's what they love to say. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> how many of you have ever heard that line? Yeah. I'm so glad for you. Oh, no, 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 no. Audience, please. You're, you're so, ha their audience, that audience. Don't be happy that I got rid of all that anger, all that anger. I'm so happy for you that you feel a sense of peace with who you are. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Oh, then I'm happy for you. But don't bring that to me. Well, I'm sorry that with the very opening of my eyes and receiving of forgiveness of sins comes a commission and a command upon me to share that with you. That's the way that God saves people. It's not just okay for me to get saved and let you go on your happy way off to the lake of fire. It's my obligation. I have to share. I have to tell you the gospel. And here's what he says now. Now he's turning the tables, right? And here's what he's saying. From God's perspective, he's saying, here's what I'm given. He says, my job is to open blind eyes. What's the inference there? Everyone in the courtroom, you're all? Oh, here's where the tempers start to get flared. Okay, he says, my eyes were open, your, your eyes need to be open. Jew, Gentile, it just doesn't matter. We're born spiritually blind and in the dark, and it gets worse. He says, to turn them from darkness and from the devil to light and to God. What you saying? Are you saying that everybody in this audience, the king and all these people up here, are under the sway of the evil one? And we're all in darkness. And Satan has us trapped by blinding our minds. Yes. That's what it says. That's what I have to do. But if you turn by hearing the truth and simply turn to God, away from the dark, away from the devil, that you will come to find forgiveness in him and fellowship, a place with God's people and a place with God. You'll be restored to a person not this re dead religion, but you'll meet a living 
person. I hope Bernice is paying attention. You know, the devil's got you blinded. You're living in darkness like everybody else. And God's word comes as light. And if you react to that favorably, it'll turn you from the power of the evil one. First uh, John. First John says the entire world lies under the spell of the evil one. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, that the devil, he, he takes people captive. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. And that's, he says, hey, listen, I can't just get saved and, and be quiet and watch the world perish. And so he says, I've got marching orders from a higher court. I haven't disobeyed the vision. You know, this is God's fault. It's God's fault I'm in trouble. I'm obeying him. This isn't my idea. So he's saying, the Lord said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Teach, listen to this, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That could get us in a lot of hot water. People don't want to obey one thing he says, let alone Everything you've commanded, you want us to teach them to obey that? He says, that's what this is all about. When I start saying, you need to turn from the devil and darkness and repent of your nasty sins, and then you'll find life in Christ. He says, oh, king, that's when they seize me. That's why they want to kill me. They don't like the message that I just told you about. But he says, he goes on, but as you can see, God, is, God keeps rescuing me, and here I am uh, just saying exactly what the Bible says, that the Messiah would suffer and die and be raised to dead. Well, <laughs> the king is on the edge of faith. The king's on the edge of his seat. Now, time for a little tug of war, spiritual tug of war. The devil looks at the king's face. The king is leaning in. He needs to disrupt. He's about to lose the king forever, and the king's going to be a gospel witness like Paul. What should we do? He's got just the guy. 24. At this point, Festus, the Gentile manly man who's not interested in religious things, interrupts Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replies. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. I could give you chapter and verse. Uh, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets I know you do. <laughs> then Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now, there's another translation of that. Uh, it can go either way in the, in the Greek. You almost persuade me. I'm almost there. It's a combination, I think, of that idea. Whatever the case is, he's saying, not today, thank you very much. Verse 29. Paul replies, short time or long, I pray God 
that not only you, you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose, okay, the meeting's over, <laughs> and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them, they left the room, and while talking with one another, they say, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Uh, so much for help with charges. <laughs> Agrippa said to Festus, this guy could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. A whole chapter, look at you. What'd you do today? Oh, studied a chapter of the Bible. <laughs> That's nice. I'm proud of you. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up here. The last one. Paul brings it home with a question. He's going to close the deal on Agrippa, but first he has to uh, deal with the disruption from Festus. All right? So he says, um, someone's had enough. Someone's sitting there bored out of his mind. Somebody's there as a natural man. You remember how Festus, Governor Festus, the Roman guy said, hey, I'm not a religious guy. This is all about, remember the quote, some dead guy named Jesus who Paul keeps saying is alive. I'm not, I'm not into all of this. It's over my head. So here's this guy sitting there. They're all talking about religion and God and resurrection from the dead and heaven and opening blind eyes and the devil. He's sitting there. His mind is wandering. He's feeling tortured. He's bored. He's hungry. Isn't it time for lunch? You know, he's got his phone out. He's surfing the web. He's uninterested. How long is this going to go on? You know what's on tonight? Gladiators. <laughs> Come on. That was a good one. Okay. What is he doing? He's sitting there. He's bored out of his mind. Because what does the Bible say? Thank you, Paul, through the Holy Spirit. Natural man cannot receive spiritual things because they are nonsense to him because they are spiritually discerned. Meaning you have to have a heart that's kind of uh, tracking with the help of the Holy Spirit to understand any of it. So he's sitting there thinking, checking out the babes in the courtroom, you know? He's looking at, oh, look at Bernice. <laughs> you know, she's pretty cute, you know? He's thinking about chariot races, and there's a lot of guys like that. The words of eternal life from the premier Christian evangelist of the world going straight over his head and past his carnal ears. Couldn't care less. So he's had enough. He's hungry. He's irritable. And then he starts talking about God and Satan. And he stands up and he goes, you're crazy. Paul knows exactly what's going on. And he's not going to call off the hounds because he's got his man right there. And this happens all the time. Oh, you get somebody right there on the edge and they're ready to say the sinner's prayer and boom, a cell phone goes off. Or a baby. <laughs> or a backfire. I, one time I was making an altar call at a church and, and everybody was like right there and the music and the tears. And the, oh, right? And some crows started to bang against the window. I was like, this is out of a movie. This is like 666 or something. 
so watch out, Paul. Paul's not fooled. He says, rah, 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 over here. Gang, over here. And Paul says, um, excuse me, <laughs> but uh, most uh, noble Festus, uh, I, I'm very reasonable. I can show you chapter and verse. And besides, I'm not talking to you. You can go back to sleep now. Um, <laughs> I'm, have you not noticed I said, oh, king, six times in this passage? Uh, all right, so, so go back to sleep, get some rest, this festus. <laughs> and so he goes back. So here's what he says. He says, uh, the king is listening patiently. He's tracking with me. He's pointing to his subject there. He says, he's well-versed in the scriptures. He's got a handle on this. He doesn't think I'm being unreasonable. Christianity wasn't done in some secret society. The gospels were quite out there. He's a very intelligent man. And then he gets right to it. He says, King, you believe the Bible, don't you? He says, I know you do. Oh, who's the prosecuting attorney in this case? It's Paul the prisoner. I know you do. Here's your moment, King Agrippa. Here's your moment. Your great-grandfather tried to kill baby Jesus and murdered all those infants in Bethlehem. Your grandfather beheaded John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Your father beheaded James, son of Zebedee, John's brother, because he was a disciple and an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now it's your turn, sir. Number four. Dark, light, Satan, God, your choice. Now, what's a king to do? Festus, his buddy, the man's man, Roman guy, just said, he's a nutcase, right? So he's thinking, if I say, yeah, then I'm going to lose Festus Respectus. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. <laughs> What's Bernice thinking? Look at her body language. <laughs> it's closed, all right? I'm not going to have to deal with this on the way home, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> no offense, anybody. I wasn't talking about Barb, I love you. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> What's he going to do? So here's what he says. He either says, here's the paraphrase of what you can combine the whole thing. Half of them say, he's saying, uh, in such a short time, you think you can make me a, a Christian? And the other half say, he's saying, hey, I'm almost there. You almost persuade me. Uh, here's what I think. I think we're safe in saying. He's saying, yeah, I'm listening. I'm interested. But do you really expect me to decide right here and now? Just after your short sermon? I am almost. That's what he's saying, right? Well, move over, Judas. <laughs> we got another one just at the door. <laughs> right at the door. The ball comes down into the mitt. <laughs> Pops out. 
Oh, it doesn't matter if it comes into the mid and pops out or if it lands 100 feet behind your head. You missed it. It doesn't matter if, like in Japan, the subway was important to get on that subway, the platform you're running in, and many times it's like, wah, right in your face. <laughs> oh, I missed it. Or you could be across town, stuck in traffic. You missed it. Either way. But Agrippa has the miserable, horrendous position, if he remained unrepentant, to come right up to heaven's door to eternal life <laughs> and for all eternity to think, I, I was right there. I was even favorable. For whatever reason it was him or her, I didn't do it. The rich young ruler, God in a body right there. Hey, how do I get to heaven? Well, I'll tell you. First, do you feel any conviction about the Ten Commandments? Nope. <laughs> I kept them all. Wrong answer. <laughs> so the Lord says, oh, let's talk about greed and coveting. <laughs> Just got to get you a little bit convicted here. So he went, oh, that. <laughs> Never mind. So... He decides not to decide. And in not deciding, you decide. And that's what happens. It's terrible. So uh, short sermon or long, he says, I pray to God that you're all like me. I just noticed this. In the midst of all those people, all that money, all that power, all that wealth, all that fame, he says, I don't wish to be like you. I wish you all would be like me. Because I'm the free one, I'm the rich one, I'm the pardoned one, and you, who outwardly look just the opposite, are the poor. You are the bound, and you are the condemned. So I, I, I would wish you to be like me. And then he goes, except for these. Oh, another knife right in the heart. So they get up and they say to themselves, this guy hasn't done anything wrong. Another very good sign that they're, they're receiving. We may meet some people. Hey, what's your testimony? Hey, you know, in Acts 26, I was in the gallery. And I was like, I'm no fool. <laughs> I'm turning to God. And we're going to meet some people like that, no doubt. And I hope it is Agrippa. And I hope it's Bernice. I hope it's Festus. You know, I won't make a joke. <laughs> Not that I wasn't thinking of a rhyming word. <laughs> Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you that most of us, we're on board all the way in. We've walked through the door, Lord. And we pray for those who may be toying with the idea. They're very close to help them today. Not to put it off a moment longer, but just to come in to walk through the door and have life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. Listen, you are not crazy. Mark chapter 3. Jesus' mother and brothers come to find Jesus 
to take charge of him because they believed he was, quote, out of his mind. Mark 3. His brothers and mom say, we need to take charge of you because you've lost your mind. If they think Jesus lost his mind, how much more we who follow him, who talk about him coming through the clouds with great power and glory and all the joys of heaven and the rapture of the church. Well, it might be crazy if right now Gog, Russia, and Persia, Iran, weren't doing a little dance together just like the scriptures say they will do in the end days if there weren't wars and rumors of wars, if Israel was not a nation after 2,000 years, all these prophecies coming to pass, it's reasonable. It's a reasonable hope because we have it grounded in historical truth that's easily verifiable. So take heart. People are always going to be happy for you. All right? And they're always (laughs) going... And they're always going to think you're a little Yiddish word here, meshugana. All right. Oh, you know it. Oh, look who's so smart after all. All right. Meshugana, a little crazy in the head. That's what you are. But you know what? When they do see him coming in the clouds, then in that day, they're going to go, oh, that's why they were a little excited, shall we say. All right. So take heart. Now let's bow our heads, close our eyes. There may be somebody here who's one of these almost guys or gals. (laughs) And I want to give you a chance to respond. Nobody's looking around. We're just praying. They're praying for you, actually. If you're here, I'm not talking about rededicating your life as a Christian, but just meeting the Lord for the first time, confessing your sins, becoming a Christian. There's a prayer. We'll just all say the prayer together. If you want to just raise your hand and say, no, I've never been saved, but I want to be. You raise your hand nice and high, and I'll, I'll include you in a closing prayer. It's that easy. Say, I'm almost. Well, we'll take you from almost to right through the door. Anybody here want to say that would be me? All right, we do have a hand. Awesome. Anybody else want to join that hand? All right, let's say that sinner's prayer to take you from almost all the way to eternal life. All right? Dear Heavenly Father, I call on the name of the Lord. And just like you say in your word, I will be saved. Please wash away my sins. I believe in Jesus. I give him my life. I trust in him. I turn from dark. I turn from the evil one. I repent of my sins and I trust you for forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the, the young man who raised your hand, we have a Bible and we want to talk to you and pray with you afterwards. And then everybody else, God bless you. Uh, don't forget next Sunday. Well, I know. I don't have to see this to, because you're spiritually mature. You're not the kinds of people who would say, Pastor Ross isn't around, so we're going to take the day off. You know, you're way more mature than that. So we have a guest speaker who 
David Shirley from Calvary Chapel Bible College, who is the president of Bible, the Bible College and now vice president. He's a great speaker, he's a pastor for many years. We're flying him up, so come on out and smile a lot and say a lot of amens, all right? God bless you, we'll see you.